listening to a new episode of the flux pod my name is matthew perpetua uh, this episode features the writer emily gould who has a new novel out called perfect tunes uh, emily has been an internet writer for a long time as have i and we, we talk a bit about that and we talk a bit about you know writing process and we also talk a lot about uh how kids learn music uh the music gets passed down uh, sort of passively or not passively from uh, parents. And Emily has uh, two young children, and she talks about her own experiences with that. Um, that's kind of uh, the second half of this episode. Um, but yeah, uh, this is a free episode of the show. The episode There's other episodes that come out on Saturdays, but those are for Patreon subscribers only. So if you want to get more episodes, and they're good episodes, uh, you want to go to patreon.com slash fluxblog. It's $5 a month. And uh, I think if you also like the website, if you like all the other stuff I do, I would consider that, uh, that monthly donation kind of cover uh, the whole shebang. But anyway, let's get into the episode now with Emily Gould. So yes, uh, Emily, tell me who you are and what you do. I'm Emily Gould, and I am a writer. I'm a novelist, and uh, my most recent novel is called Perfect Tunes. And I'm also a blogger. I have been writing about my life on the internet since the early aughts. So, so you have this new book, Perfect Tunes, and as the title kind of implies, there's a connection to music in it. Um, like, how would you synopsize it just to get people an idea of what it is about? So Perfect Tunes starts in 2001, and the protagonist, Laura, has just moved to New York City with the uh, dream of being a singer-songwriter. And she's really talented, um, but she doesn't have a lot of street smarts or savvy about like how to go about making a career for herself in music. And she also has some bad luck, which is that she falls in love with a much more famous musician whose career is really taking off. Mm, I don't want to like have too many spoilers, but it does say in the flop copy that he dies. So he dies. Um, she finds out she's pregnant, even though she's like in her very early twenties. She decides to go ahead and have the baby because she like loved him, and she can't imagine not, you know, um, carrying on with it. And the rest of the book is kind of about her relationship with her daughter, that daughter's relationship as a teenager with uh, the father the family of the father she never knew and also uh, her relationship with her mother, you know, just sort of like coming to terms with how different they are as people. And then Laura finally sort of like escaping the 
like strictures of motherhood and trying to see if there's anything she can salvage of her like musical aspirations. And yeah, that's what I thought, basically. <laughs> yeah, the thing that uh, kind of struck me, and, I, and people kind of been even just intuitive from like the description of the plot, is how much of the book was kind of about how talented artists, especially talented female artists, can just kind of get like derailed in all the different ways they can have their artistic careers derailed. Yeah. And, you know, even like the her connection to her friend who like she uh, writes songs with and has like a more successful career um, where she just kind of becomes like a secondary figure to these other people. I mean, God, I, I continue to be so obsessed with the ideas of like the sacrifices we make to sort of like do our work, like if it's creative work and also like the the people who are rewarded and the sort of complicated mix of ambition and talent that it takes to kind of live your artistic dream um, or sort of your, if you believe in these things like your artistic to fulfill your artistic destiny, like to fulfill your artistic potential. Um, I mean, it's just something that I think about. I just think about it constantly, like probably to an unhealthy extent. And I think one of the reasons that I'm so fascinated by music is because it's so obvious there. Like it's so obvious when people are, you know, having like career peaks and valleys and, and, and it's usually rewarded in the moment. It's very rare that like a musician will like make great work and then it will only be recognized like 20 years later. Um, whereas in the work that I do in like the realm of like artistic endeavor that I do, it's so much more subtle and it's the stakes are so much lower and it is totally possible to just like, you know, quietly like do your work and then maybe like, you know, someone stumbles across it like 30 years down the line that, it resonates then. Um, right. Or on your like sixth novels, people are like, wow, the, this incredible body of work. Yeah. And that happens constantly. That's like, it's more, that happens more often than not, I think. Yeah. I think of, yeah, definitely a lot of writers that's, that goes with, and it, that, and that's so rare now with music. I think that used to be, uh, more possible back in the I think that happened a lot in the 80s and the 90s to a lesser extent but now it just feels like if you just kind of strike out at some point early on you're just kind of out and it's very hard to just suddenly become a thing like deep into your career I mean I think there are exceptions but they're really really big exceptions yeah I'm definitely not saying that one thing is like better than the other but it's just like it's um one's more dramatic than the other that is like a lot easier to um, <laughs> write about, I guess, um, in an interesting way. Like just in terms of like how narrative works, like it's you know it's like much more satisfying dramatic arc to like have someone, you know, be a big success or or not. You know. Yeah, I think it's also like a helpful thing to like write about an art form that's not your own. So there is like some bit of distance and it's also some bit of uh, fantasy as well. Yeah, although it is like a huge cliche. And I was very conscious of that, especially in the early drafts of this book. I was like, the, like all the parts where she was actually doing, you know, like getting up on stage and like playing music. I'm like, and she played her guitar <laughs> <laughs> the way that one does that. <laughs> 
I think one of the tricky things in in uh, doing stories about fictional musicians, uh, pretty much in any media, is just like getting across that someone is extremely talented is very difficult without having actual music. And even when you have fictional music and things, the, the fictional music is rarely very good. I think like that one song, like the in that. Uh, Oh God, what's that movie with Tom Hanks? Uh, uh, that thing you do—that's like a, that's a big exception. Where like, oh, that that actually would be a hit in that time. Totally. Most of the time, like fictional music is pretty bad. And I think usually when these stories work and the artist is in some way talented, they, they end up being failures in some way. Um, so you so it becomes a more plausible story. Like I really hate fictional stories about like big stars and like they just have like these you know so it's like this uh alternate universe where this thing is and you know i'm i feel like in a lot of ways in most ways i'm capable of like this uh that narrative leap of just uh, understanding this is fiction but i don't know it just maybe because i have too much knowledge of this thing or it's too close to me that that kind of thing bothers me oh totally and i you know i just solved the problem i think um well, I took, I took the easy way out, I think, by making it as vague as possible and really avoiding writing fake song lyrics, like, as much as I possibly could, um, or say, or even saying, like, the names of fake bands, or, you know, I probably... I, I probably could have gotten away with like doing even less. Cause yeah, it is, it's so distracting when there are fake song lyrics and books. Um, they're never good. They never sound like real song lyrics. There are a couple of books that I can think of offhand that have fake rap in them. And that's always the, <laughs> um, I also just thought of an example of a book that's about a playwright that has actual like excerpts from like the fake play in it. And they are so terrible. I thought at least I'm not even going to say the name of the book because I feel bad about having this negative opinion. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, just as an illustrative point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but you also, you know, you have these fictional things with uh, these fictional bands, but also, you know, there's, there, you mentioned bands who actually exist. I, I remember at one point you mentioned the shins. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, I had to sort of like layer in some some details to sort of like situate it at the at the like exact right cultural moment. And I hope that I mean, I hope that I got enough right that it's not like hideously distracting. Um, you know, not to lay any blame at your feet, but I was listening to your year playlists a lot to sort of like remind myself of all right so the 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 year ones the uh survey ones yeah um so so what made you decide like that was a period of time was it was it simply just because uh it was you know aligned with your own life experience oh yeah totally i mean i i also moved to new york in may of 2001 um in other ways our lives were very different um and i and I, I, you know, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not the same age as Laura. I'm a little younger. Um, and I also like, am not cool. Um, actually, uh, and, and even though I tried really, really hard to be cool in my early twenties, like I was never quite, you know, I, my, I'm, I'm actually like an introverted nerd and not like any kind of, um, performer or, um, you know, like center of attention at a party type of person. Yeah. I, I think that maybe you are, but relative to writers. 
<laughs> the expectations for writers, especially like internet writers, is that it's 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 a bit lower. So you yeah, can be right. like this rock star yeah. writer, at least certainly in your twenties. Um, but yeah, I think like making that jump to being cool in the same realm is like the you know the Strokes and Karen O, <laughs> a little a little more a little trickier to uh, pull off. I just, I mean, I just mean like I, I knew what like cool things were that people were doing at the time, but I was never like, I like, I never went to Miss Shapes or like, you know, was like at like raves or whatever. I did date, um, a musician, obviously, um, I say obviously because like, I don't think someone who had never dated a musician could have written this book. <laughs> um, but you know, I ne- but I never dated a famous musician. So that's a pretty important distinction. Like what were you into at that time? Music wise? Like what, what were you drawn to? Well, I think I was really ashamed of my own tastes, which, um, it now seems so weird to me. Like I, I always resisted liking the things that I actually liked because I, I thought that there was like something else out there that was more authentic and like cooler and that my tastes were too kind of like poppy and obvious. Um, you know, this probably also tracks back to, I think being the exact age that I am, I'm, I'm 38. I'll be 39 next week. Um, and uh, having sort of come of age, like been been in my early teens at a time when the worst insult you could ever say about someone is that they were a poser. <laughs> you know? and just, yeah, like, like we're we're about the same age, so it's kind of like we're not really Gen X people, but we were raised by them culturally. Totally, and so the first sort of like cultural totems of cool were like all these like X things that we were like a little too young to like really participate in and appreciate, but still have these like really, really strong. Um, so like we really like connected onto them because, you know, we were like 12 and that was what was cool. Um, so yeah, this sort of like obsession with authenticity and then also the experience of having dated, a musician who, you know, like having like lived in an apartment that had like wire magazine, not wired wire (laughs) lying, lying around and sort of like always feeling like you were not actually cool unless you were listening to something like basically unlistenable. Right. Um, And that really is like the super late nineties, early aughts uh, bar for being cool is it really had to be like the most advanced stuff possible or get out of here. Yeah. Whereas like in my heart of hearts, you know, I really love Bone Sebastian and I could never like, I could never like say that out loud when I was like 21 or 22. Wow. Really? Cause I mean, I feel like they were still like a pretty cool group at that time. Um, no, my, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like social context, I guess. Yeah. But. yeah all my, all my like friends who wanted to only go to shows where like the musicians did like ambient, like drone and like, you know, tortured, like some sort of knob for an hour until it made like the worst noise it was possible, of, capable of making. Were like, they seeing like wolf eyes or something? Um, I, I think more like, um, 
oh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like what a reference point for like this, this type of music was, you know, like the, I mean, like the stuff on the Sonic Youth album that was, um, that came out around that time. Like the SYR stuff. Yeah. 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 Like, like, so, so, so in that context, you know, you really can't admit to liking. And then when I broke up with him, I like sort of like rebounded by going to the very opposite extreme of like, I like really embracing my love of like, you know, very straight ahead um, pop and also like folk and singer songwriter music. Um, it, it feels like, you know, collectively for different reasons, we all sort of did the same thing at once, circa like 03, 04, 05. Yeah, I'm trying to what birthday it was that I went to see new pornographers at Webster Hall as a birthday gift, like for myself. Like that was like. It sounds like it would be around 2005. Yeah, yeah. So I was 24. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I, I I saw most of the new pornography shows that came through. So I was like, yeah, that had to be around then. Like I like one of like one of I'm just gonna indulge in this for a second. But like one of my uh, favorite. Uh, show stories I have Mm -hmm. is seeing the new pornographers Mm -hmm. at the Bowery Mm -hmm. ballroom in 2003. Mm -hmm. And, uh, on the way over, I was just kind of like, Oh, what, what should they play? And it's kind of just as a fun exercise for myself. And this is how I have fun. I just made a set list. And, you know, as a joke, like, cause we, me and my friend were like right up at the front. We're like, Oh, let's put it, let's put it on the, on the, uh, right on the stage. And they actually decide, Oh, fuck it. We'll play this, uh, through. Oh my god, that's and amazing. And then, then they were just making fun of us the whole time through the show. It's like, well, if this show's terrible, it's really on these two. <laughs> wow, that's so great. That's like, what a fantasy come true. Yeah, I, that's still one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, okay. that that's I can't believe that happened. And but, but, I mean, that seems like the, that's absolutely the band at the moment that would do that. I think like it was the exact moment in their career where that was even a thing they could do because they weren't quite as many members as there would be later. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, you I mean, you know, you've really shaped my um, musical tastes a lot because I've been, you know, following your blog, like basically since the beginning um, and, you know, downloading a lot of stuff. Like I really, um, yeah, I, I don't know the whole way that I think about like my musical tastes, I think has been, has been shaped a lot by like you specifically. Oh, wow. That's incredibly flattering. Well, mm, you were just in the right place. There. <laughs> yeah. Get in my brain. <laughs> Yeah, God, so much of life is like that too. Where it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I think even just uh, one. Then, like, then the, the weirder part is like after you've been in the right place at the right time, you're like, and you're like, oh, now I'm in neither place. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. like, I, I mean, in my my uh, approach is, oh, I'm just gonna stay in the in the same place, and maybe the time will line up again. Yeah, I think that's probably the right approach because people who like chase the zeitgeist are always like fucking it up. You know, it's that sort of phenomenon of like you do something and like you're the person who like initiates it and then like people come and like, you know, they are emulating you and then they're surpassing you and then you're like making out with them at the VMAs to try to seem like you're still relevant, you know, and that's always a bad sign in terms of 
<laughs> your relative. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also just, you know, maybe you just end up in some other thing. Like maybe like the other time in my life where I was in the right place at the right time was like when I was at BuzzFeed and I just fell into quizzes at exactly the right time for that. Yeah, totally. So like now I have this whole other career in, in quiz stuff, which feels increasingly strange to me, but it's it pays better. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I'm trying to think. One of the things uh, that kind of happens early on, like you have a, you, you have this like, like nice detail with the disc man and, but uh, it kind of lands on the song that kind of keeps getting skipped over and messed up by the disc man is the Joni Mitchell song, a uh, song for Sharon. And I was kind of curious, like, like how you arrived at that being the right song. Oh, I guess because I, I really uh, spent a lot of time with Joni Mitchell's like first four albums. I really love music that is about about itself. Um, I love I love the sort of like ultimate kind of like self mythologizing self indulgence of any artist's like second or third album that's about that's just like has as its as its theme I'm really famous now like now what <laughs> yeah and it's also with her like you know who my boyfriend is you know? oh, yeah I mean I I'm always, I'm always surprised that I've never really become like a fan of Taylor Swift because that's I guess like you know a very a very Taylor Swifty like trope too. But. Yeah, that's certainly a big thing they have in common. Yeah, I mean, you know, Taylor's yet to kind of go full jazzy, but uh, you know, give her time. Well, yeah, that's gonna be another thing to look forward to in the glorious future. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I guess just like um, meditations on on fame and um, having sort of a tormented relationship with the, um, you know, the biting the hand that feeds you, I guess. Flocks. 
Also, just like it seems like a maybe not necessarily in the music sense, but like the the dynamic sense of things. Like Courtney Love seems to be a kind of way, and I mean, be you know, be kind of looms over this, I guess. Um, Yeah, because I think that Courtney Love is. I mean, to me, she's almost a literary figure. Um, I really think about her not not so much in terms of like her songwriting necessarily but just like the um like her her persona and her concerns I think are very sort of in the tradition of like other kinds of like sort of unhinged public intellectuals I'm not really saying this well but like I I think I think you're right though yeah I mean everything about her life is like the maximum level of drama and she's fully aware of it in this uh not just in the fact that it's dramatic, but in kind of appreciating like things for what they are. So I think uh, a good example of this is like in the nineties, like she had a full awareness of this pantheon of rock stars that she had become part of mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of uh, wanting to indulge in that as much as she can and her connections to the other people in this pantheon. Um, and, I mean, to me, like the one of the really interesting things about that period of rock music in the '90s, uh, certainly like where I come in on things, is that uh, there is this entirely new pantheon of figures who are all unique to the '90s, um, and so it, it really because I feel like the '80s like has a pantheon, but it's it's still like a little bit rooted in the '70s. Yeah. So it's I I really think there's really a '60s '70s pantheon, and then there's like this '90s pantheon. Um, so, you know, so like, so that pantheon, just like, you know, just to mm-hmm. not, not to leave people listening in the dark. So, you know, you'd have, you know, you have Kurt and Billy Corgan and uh, Trent Reznor, Tori Amos, PJ Harvey, like all these people. And they're all kind of like these gods and they're all very distinct. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think like people who are our exact age were like really lucky, I think in a way to have that be sort of like our introduction to what like pop music could be or like what, what the music that you were like hearing on the radio and like, you know, the music videos that you were like watching on MTV, like, you know, that was, that was a really, I feel really lucky to have had those things as like a formative influence at like the earliest like moment that I could be receptive to them. Yeah. And also, I mean, cause there, these things exist in other forms in different eras, but I think we just happen to get a really good totally. one. And I don't know, maybe that that's just like, you know, confirmation bias. Yeah. Like we just <laughs> think it's good. So therefore it's the best, but I think it's just, it's a very interesting set of figures. They're all like very, uh, like high uh, levels of uh, authenticity, you know, because it's so Gen X of them. Um, but 
it's you know I think that you look at the the version of that would be that would be in the aughts and there is a corniness to all of those people even at their very best. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you have you have a much more you have the stuff like really at your fingertips, and I always kind of like you know because like writing and like authors and books, I guess are you you do sort of have to like choose a thing at some point, and like I chose. I chose books rather than music. Um, Did you ever try with music? Um, oh, it's like to write about it or to. Or, 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 or to like make oh. it. Did you did you ever experiment with like writing? I don't about? have innate, innate uh, musical gifts. I really don't. Um, I, I have like musicians in my family and I, um, you know, was encouraged to like learn instruments growing up and I did really give it a shot. And I just like, you know, I, I felt myself like not getting better. Have you ever had that with, with something that you like try to, that you try to do and you're just like, I'm persisting with this and it's been years. Oh yeah. I mean like specifically. Yeah. I'm just not, I'm just like not improving. And once you realize that you're not kind of like ever going to get past a certain not very satisfying point with it. Like it it's becomes a lot easier to give it up. I've had that with a lot of things. Like I, I had it with drawing also. Um, I had it with, uh, teaching yoga <laughs> and, um, and I think the only thing that I haven't experienced that with is, is writing. Like I, I, I still feel myself like learning and growing and like, you know, teaching myself how to do new things as I get older with writing. Um, and that, so that. Did you always feel like a level of confidence with it? Um, yeah, I, well, it just like was, it was just like fun for me. It wasn't like effortless, but it was like, it was where I could like get sort of like the satisfaction of mastery. Um, and I never felt that with like guitar or piano or singing or, or drawing, even though I was like, I was like really into drawing for a long time. And I actually wanted to be a cartoonist when I first, um, like moved to New York city. Um, which sometimes I forget because it's so distant from like anything that I do or think about in my life now, but I'm still a big fan of like comics and graphic novels. I have a pretty similar experience. I mean, I, I went to art school. I was, uh, I went to Parsons and I think like but my, I'm thinking like with my inclinations, just the way I am, or certainly the way I was, like whatever I went to school for was not going to th- be the thing I did because it would just killed all enjoyment for me. So the thing I did not go to school for that I had some aptitude for was writing, and writing like, sort of accidentally became a career through doing the site. Like, I didn't really set out to become a writer; it just kind of naturally flowed into that. Um, but I think it's also, it's kind of exactly what you're saying where I didn't have to work as hard at writing. It just was sort of natural to me. Um, I didn't overthink it and I could kind of have a certain, the certain sort of confidence that comes with like not having this pressure on you to be like extremely good at it. And, you know, then you work uh, over time and you do, you know, try to grow and be better. But I think with certainly with drawing, uh, I had a standard for what I wanted my drawing to be that I, my hands would not cooperate with. Like I could draw one way, but it wasn't the way I wanted to. And I think the same was true of playing instruments, like specifically keyboards. Cause for some reason, like guitars, I, my hands just don't agree with guitars. Um, 
but yeah, if, I, if, if you put me at a keyboard, I can play it, I can uh, improvise something, but it's nothing I actually like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I know exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. I can relate to that so easily. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, not everyone has to be a polymath. Like it's really lucky that we have like anything that we're like good (laughs) good at. Oh yeah. I mean, lots of people are are, like, we'll have that thing where they are pretty good at lots of things, but they can't decide on anything. So it goes. Yeah. My brother is like that actually. I mean, he's not like that now. He was, he was like that when he was younger, but I think actually having this sort of example of my dad and my brother who are both just the kind of person who like, they can pick up pretty much any instrument and like fool around with it for a little bit and then eventually figure out how to play it. Um, I know that it's possible to, I just like, you know, having that as an example of like what that sort of innate like ability looks like in front of me. It was just so obvious to me always that like, if I achieved anything in that realm, it would be through like grinding effortful persistence. And that's really never been my strong Well, it seems like the, the the main difference between those two things is one is it's pattern recognition. It's kind of a mechanical thing. It's being able to mimic a thing. Whereas the thing that you are good at as a writer is expressing your point of view or, you know, telling a story that is expressing something that is still from your point of view. So one thing is like really from you and the other thing is just kind of, you know, it's about the same as typing. Yeah. Wow. I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, pattern recognition also like super, not my strong suit. Um, (laughs) that's why I didn't get into like the, um, international baccalaureate high school. I did really badly on like whatever the pattern recognition standardized test is. So many failures, just a legacy of failures my whole life. Um, but I, I, I do like, you know, I, I obviously, yearn for something that is only possible when you are like performing. And I think that blogging kind of scratches that itch for me, or at least it did for a while because it is like a writing style that's like highly performative and, and also is. You get some immediate feedback. Exactly. Yeah. Like for better or worse. Um, And I'm not doing that as much anymore these days. Um, And so there's still like, there's like a, there's like an unfulfilled sort of like thing in in my psyche to figure out some sort of like healthy outlet for it. You know, for a while it was definitely karaoke. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That absolutely scratches the itch for just like the part of me. Cause I mean, I like singing. I'm like, I'm a reasonably good singer, but I feel like uh, pursuing being the singer in a band never felt like an option to me because I did because even just like when I was uh like I, I did go through a phase of like writing a lot of writing and recording a lot of songs around the time I was like whew, must be like 19 20 21 um I just got so frustrated doing everything myself because I just was always like the worst member of my own band <laughs> um <laughs> Like, oh, God, this guy cannot drum. I hate this guy. He's so bad, and I can't replace him. <laughs> um, but yeah, just never really having a people to do it with. And also, I think just the insecurity about, like, I do not look like I should be, like, the singer of a band. I think maybe now things would be different. People would be 
perhaps more accepting in some ways. But I think in the the period of time where like the idea of like who is in a band is really like fairly narrow to either like you look like you're in My Chemical Romance or you look like you're in The Strokes. Yeah. Or, may, or maybe like, you know, you look like a Britpop person. Um, but it's pretty narrow. Totally. Um, oh, oh, no, I think the other option that I'm leaving off the table that I could have fit into if I completely changed everything about my sense of style uh, would I could have been like a new metal guy. <laughs> yeah, no, that would have been easy. Just like grab some wet and wild eyeliner for like 99 cents at the nearest CVS and go to town. <laughs> Yeah, like a black bowling shirt. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, another thing that you've been doing with your playlists recently is really making us like have to like rub our nose in some of the like lowest musical moments of um, the past like 20 years. But even that is like pretty interesting. Oh yeah, I, mean, I haven't really done like too much of the, the past twenty years. Like I think that the, my like the area that I've been really fixated on is really like the eighties and nineties, because yeah. that's the, I think that's part of like this impulse to understand the past where I'm not an adult, like the part of my life where I'm not an adult. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I mean, part of that is also just like collecting a lot of magazines from that period of time. Mm-hmm. So like that that's definitely a very big. Uh, tool in terms of getting a sense of an era uh it's like getting that media that's all kind of lost to time um like i have like lots and lots of uh i have like most issues of rolling stone between like maybe the early mid 70s through the mid 90s and those are fascinating especially seeing like how much that magazine changes in those in that period of time um, and then I also have like all these like after dark magazines from the seventies, which is like this, uh, I guess, I guess, it, I, I mean, I feel like it's, it's mostly a gay magazine. It's a gay arts magazine, uh, focused on mostly on New York city, but all the other major metropolitan areas will kind of figure into it here and there. But it's a really interesting snapshot of like a, of a bohemian seventies, but like a, from a not quite the the Rolling Stone perspective on the seventies. Yeah, no, I've seen your um, like screenshots of it and your like Instagram stories. It looks amazing. Somebody should just figure out how to do like a coffee table book of like the best of After Dark because like the photography in that magazine is like outstanding. It probably would be a nightmare to get it together, but it, I, I would love for it to exist. Okay. I think I, I think I kind of willed the Ray Gun magazine uh, coffee table book, book into existence. So maybe that's the new one to will into existence. Somehow. Yes, focus your the secret on that exclusively. There's definitely not like any higher priority. I think it's like, you know, some things uh, are just more realistic than others or, you know, like the, or maybe like maybe it's just underestimating the, the skill we could have at secreting the world uh, to be what we want it to be. Yeah. Like, secreting a book into existence is, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's like when you first develop telekinesis and you have to practice with like a marble and then like a TV remote and then you can work your way up to like a building. I mean, I will say I have been in my own way, usually like while like at the gym or something, like I have been secreting like really uh, a lot for like the Trump administration. And like that has not really worked out much at all until maybe fairly recently. Well, you know, it's probably just everyone's efforts just like came to fruition all at once, aided by the um, 
particular like astrological placements that are currently, you know, afoot. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Oh God. I wonder, I wonder if there is a certain, uh, something giving like a person who's as Leo as me, like additional powers. Um, like my chart is like heavily Leo. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's, it's mostly Leo and, but I have the Capricorn moon. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, so you're like, I mean, why aren't you, yeah. Why aren't you super famous? You should be really famous. Yeah, I guess I'm like famous on like some very small level, but yeah, there's always more fame to attain. Mm, that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm curious, like, what what did you listen to now? Like, what has been like the, you know, the the stuff you've been getting a lot from in the the more recent past of your life? Oh, um, I. <laughs> I, I mean, I know asking this question just makes people's brain shut down. I know it always does for me, but, you know. Um, I mean, well, you're listening to, like, so much stuff constantly, and you probably are very, like, disciplined about keeping track of what you listen to, right? Like, don't you? Well, I mean, that's sort of what the site yeah. is and sort of what playlists are as well, but it's also, like, my brain just goes blank because it's always, like, a lot of volume, and I don't really – I also factor in, like, well, what does this person want to hear from right. me? Right. Because there's there's definitely things where like certain answers will just be boring or or not of interest to the person you're talking to. Like uh, a few weeks ago, I went through like a, a certain like at least a week or two of just heavily listening to you two just out of nowhere, uh, and I'll just kind of periodically have that with like certain artists where I'll just be like very obsessed with their catalog and then you know revisiting a catalog and then just kind of move on again. Yeah, I actually do. I do the same thing. Well, sometimes I'm like trying to get into a specific mood for writing too, and so I like need to like kind of like use music as like a sort of like mood drug in a really like specific way. Um, more recently, I gotta say like the main thing that's been going on in my life, um, musically other than like whatever I'm listening to while I'm working is that I'm trying to not in a heavy handed way, but, but just in like, for my own sake, I'm trying to shape my five-year-old's musical like tastes and, you know, it's not going well because it never could, like it never does for anyone when they try to shape their kids' musical tastes. But I mean, but I mean, I'm just, I'm taking like a harm reduction approach basically because like for some reason due to one of his friends mentioning it or liking it, he got really into Katy Perry. And I was like, okay, like where can we go from here? (laughs) 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 Let's, let's, titrate this down to something that's going to be tolerable for me to listen to over and over again in the car for like the next like year and a half. Um, and so we landed on Lady Gaga and that's where we have mostly remained. And I'm actually so grateful that Chromatica is like a really listenable album and has some good songs and like, what are your favorites? Um, I think Rain on Me is a really good song. Um, I don't really like Gaga in ballad mode, sorry to say. Um, but um, 
I I like the whole vibe of Chromatica, the sort of like embrace of like dancey, like disco Gaga uh, coming back from the era of um, A Star is Born Gaga. Um, I love how 90s it is. It's it's such a specifically 90s kind of house music. Yeah, like Stupid stupid Love and Rain on Me and Free Woman, that, that run of like the, you know, what should be the first three tracks of the album, um, if I had to. <laughs> yeah like if you just kind of cut off like intros yeah yeah um yeah those are all those are all really great songs that i would love to like uh dance to in a club which is not a thing that i would ever do um yeah like like, like lady gaga and uh dua lipa just putting out these like these huge club banger records at a time where there's no well clubs. you know i think this is a little bit dark um but i actually think that like there is a genre of music now that is basically being made for people to work out to. Oh yeah. I, I think that's, yeah. I think even if like, it's not like the front of mind, it is always like part of the utility. Right. Like that there people are like, people are like, yeah, I can totally see someone like, you know, spinning their heart out to this. And that's. Oh my God. Chromatica, Chromatica is such a spin class record. God. <laughs> it really is. And I also like, I started doing like kind of some like goofy, like jumping around my living room, like dance aerobic videos. Um, and like, it's, you know, the, those, so yeah, that the Dua Lipa album and the Gaga album are both like good for that. Um, and you know, I've, I've tried to, I've, I'm like scrolling through my, like, most recent downloads um, to like see what I've attempted to do with like Rafi's musical education. Um, I haven't been able to get him to love Broadway musicals. Uh, that's not happening. Um, I did try for a long time. Never. What is your taste in musicals? Like, are you like a Sondheim person? Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I like had the formative experience of starring in a, middle school production of into the woods which like scarred me for life in a good way I mean, mostly <laughs> mostly a good way <laughs> i was jack's mother just you know in case you were wondering <laughs> um and yeah sometimes does seem like a tough uh tough sell for a kid like of the musicals that are out there that's like his stuff is a little more adult like about even just on a even just on a pure uh, musical melodic yeah no it's true like it's not there aren't like catchy repetitive um yeah i don't know i mean I think with kids, and I think we were kind of getting at this before, maybe before we actually hit record, but um, like I've made like those uh, late '80s, like the the boomer one and like the yuppie music one, and they both kind of hit this spot where people you know, our age, maybe up to like ten or so years younger than us, like oh my god, that's my mom's car. You know, like the music that you kind of just have ambiently that you associate with like, oh, this is the music my parents listen to. And you kind of develop a fondness for that over time, like much later on. And I think that's maybe it's like maybe that's the long game you should be playing. Like the stuff that when Rafi is 27, like, like oh, my God, I can't believe it. I like Liz Fair. It's like the best music I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mom was so right. And we, we can really bond. Oh, over that this. would be. 
Amazing. Oh my God. I just, I, I find myself wondering yet again, what Liz Fair's own son thinks of Liz Fair's music, but I digress. Um, well, he be, I think he's about 20 yeah, or so. He's, college. Now. he's like, I mean, who knows what he's listening to. I mean, the beauty of that is like the likelihood that like most girls he might ever date, assuming that he's straight, um, <laughs> will be like big fans of his mom. I mean, I hope that's uh, something that he experiences in a positive way. I feel like having a famous oh, always. Like, I mean, that, I mean, if that opens doors, God, you embrace yeah. that. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, hey, ladies, uh, my mom's Liz. Yeah, I, you're right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna feel too sorry for. Um, uh, I forget what his name is. I think it's Nick. Um, anyway, the um, <laughs> the the music taste as expressed by like your parents and like listening to songs in the car. I'm just realizing that that's something that like we have to really course correct if we want that to be a part of Rafi and Ilya's lives, because we like only listen to the music in the car that they like specifically request slash demand that we listen to in the car. And that wasn't something that ever happened to me growing up. I don't ever remember telling my dad like what I did or didn't want to listen to in the car. Oh yeah, I had no say whatsoever. Like maybe I think maybe I could like be like, can we put this other radio station on? Because it was always radio. It was never like, you know, tapes or CDs. My my both of my parents are not really particularly music people at all. Like my dad, like almost not oh, at wow. all. My dad, like, my dad just had like virtually no interest in music at all. Um, he, he was a sports person. And that's kind of where all his energy went. And I, I mean, I think I learned a lot of like having intense interest from my dad through like a more of an osmosis thing. Um, But yeah, I I, I think that like, I do get the sense now that like parents will just be like, I just need to put on something that they will like and will make them happy and will maybe keep them quiet. Maybe that's some signal, huge shift in like how parenting works and it's like bad. Um, Or it's just like a matter of like make it, it's now much easier to listen to like, anything that you can imagine whenever you want to. And so why, why would you not do that? But it, it did have, it did have a dark outcome, which was that for a solid like year, maybe two years of my life, literally the only song that I listened to anytime I was in the car um, with my kids, um, bear in mind that we live in New York city. So we don't, you know, I was going to ask like, how often are you in cars? Well, we did, we did live in DC for like two months, not this past summer, but uh, the summer before that. Cause my husband had like a fellowship to research, like something about like Russia and the CIA. Or, so we had to like be close to <laughs> the state department. Um, but the, um, yeah, we listened to just specifically shiny from the Moana soundtrack, the song that Jermaine Clement sings on the Moana soundtrack. Um, that was the only song that we were permitted to listen to in the car. Oh my God. <laughs> well, Tomatoa hasn't always been this glam. I was a drab little crab once. Now I know I can be happy as a clam because I'm beautiful, baby. Did your granny say, listen to your heart? Be who you are on the inside. I need three words to tear her argument apart You're grinning I'd rather be shiny Like a treasure from a sunken pirate wreck Scrub the deck and make it look shiny I will sparkle like a wealthy woman's neck 
just to say, don't you know? Fish are dumb, dumb, dumb. They chase anything that glitters. Beginners. Oh, and here they come, come, come to the brightest thing that glitters. Mm, fish dinners. I just love free food. And you look like seafood. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, that totally aligns with this. Like, I, I just know there's just countless young parents who've had to listen to like the Frozen song so many times that oh. it would just be like your brain. Yeah, that's that's horrible. I would never I would not. I think I would have drawn the line there. Like the Moana soundtrack is, you know, I don't want to listen to anything that often, but it has to be some, like the Moana soundtrack is it's good. Like it's a work of like very, 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 very competent people. Um, and every song on it is pretty much a good song. Um, Frozen, Frozen soundtrack has let it go. And like, that's it. And that's sad um, for everyone concerned, but the, yeah, I've never seen Frozen. So I just know that one song. Oh my God. Let it go. is great. Um, and the experience of going to Disney on ice and hearing like, thousands of like little girl voices singing along to let it go as it plays in like a amphitheater is like spiritual and transcendent um but every other song in the frozen soundtrack is a total steaming pile of poo-poo it's interesting to think about like what that song will mean culturally when all of those kids are like like, young adults or just fully adults Um, yeah because it's like a really powerful message of like fuck the haters and like only like listen to your own like inner voice. So if you were um, just kind of left to your own devices, what would you think you would just kind of put on in a car if it, if, if it was like your say? If I was going on a road trip with my family and I got to like, and, it ha- and I had to listen to music, not podcasts. And I like what I was going to like program the, like playlist beforehand, I think the first few albums that I would reach for would probably be music that would make me think about being on a road trip with my family, like as a kid. So I would like, I I would do like an, you know, like semi ironic, like throwback to like my own youth playlist. I would probably put um, Graceland on it and, um, Diva by Annie Lennox, which I associate so strongly with like a particular road trip vacation that, you know, we must have taken in like the summer of 
iPads have um, like pretty good taste in music, you know, for like people of their exact um, age and like <laughs> demographic. It's I, it was always so funny to me to like look at their records um, and see their taste in music sort of like tape, like their, their active like acquisition of new music, like taper off in 1981 when I was born and then like end entirely by the time my brother was born four years later. Cause like that kind of, I mean, that, that is what happens like to most people, like you just don't have enough hours in the day. And then it, and then it sort of picked back up, you know, once we became like school age and they were like buying new, new tapes again. Yeah. And you just have like more time, I guess, just for yourself. Um, yeah. Like to sort of like cultivate a self that exists outside of your family. <laughs> what is your, what is your husband's taste like? Um, pretty non-existent. He's really not a music like person. I mean, I think he has like things that nostalgically remind him of like particular like times in his life that he likes to listen to sometimes. And I actually, this is cute. I have like some tapes that some mixtapes that he made when he was like a, like a little kid and a teenager. And one of them is called assorted raps. <laughs> but um, that is very cute. Uh, he's not like, he's so, you know, he has like, whatever that part, the region of your brain is that like um, collects information about like different, like cultural forms is like totally consumed with, um, you know, books and writing. Are, are you, have you started working on another novel? Um, yeah, I have somehow. I really didn't for a long time. And then I thought I was going to write um, like another essay collection and I had like an idea for it and everything. And, um, and then kind of, I mean, a few things happened at the same time. Like, obviously like the world as I knew it was plunged into total chaos. Um, and also I wrote like one essay and it took me six months and it really almost like murdered my brain. And which one was that? The one that was published in the cut, like, um, in like late February, the one about like, I think their, their title, their headline that they put on it was replaying my shame. Um, and it's about sort of like my Gawker experience through the lens of like everything that's happened since. Um, right. Cause like it's now like kind of this paleolithic era of internet culture that is yeah, almost. People yeah. don't really know about it. Usually like the sort of, very online people of today don't aren't they're not conversant in like the what the internet was like in the in like 2006 2007 um which i actually think is really important for understanding like how we got here like how america got here um and there have been a a few like really good books uh, recently sort of like grappling with it and i guess i thought i needed to like put in my two cents Oh, but it was so hard. And I just really felt like I was um, like vomiting and then like spending some time with the vomit, like rearranging the vomit into like shapes. And it was horrible, you know? Um, so then I was, so then I was like, well, but this is the task that I've assigned myself and I have to persist um, and I can't be a uh, weakling about it. And then finally I was just like, oh, but there's this like 
entirely other thing that I'm also capable of doing, which is writing fiction. So like, why don't I just do that? It doesn't hurt. (laughs) So then I, so then I finally, I like, it took me a while to come up with like an idea for a, a new book, but, um, once I had like the barest shreds of, of our idea and some characters, I just started to make myself work again. And I feel so much better. Oh my God. Like, yeah. I mean, it also seems like the big difference there is like uh, when you're writing a nonfiction thing or thing, uh, an opinion piece, like you're dealing with like the outside world where you get to be like the God of this universe that you're writing. Um, also, I think like the sort of, there's this weird, um, trend now in terms of autobiographical writing where people just what's the word people auto fiction um well like maybe not as much in the realm of auto fiction which i'm still not entirely clear on <laughs> on that. yeah i i asked that like as a like more yeah. as a, a question than as a, like a, <laughs> a statement but i just like just like straightforward like first person writing like personal essays like per, like you know personal essays, basically, like as a genre, you really have to like spend a lot of time and mental energy making yourself like, uh, like, like declaring your, um, declaring your right to be there on the page, um, disclaiming your privilege and, um, inoculating yourself against like potential criticism and that's so boring and I just hate it and I hate doing it and I hate reading other people do it and I would just much much rather people just like straightforwardly write about whatever it is that they are are writing about than like spend all this time being like here's how I came to be writing this essay you know um, right it's like uh, you know from this from an audience perspective it's like oh god this can you get this get to the good part can you just get to the thing um yeah, like, and, <laughs> yeah, and I really question like how much of the audience needs to have that that seems to be more for deflecting the criticism of a, a relatively small part of your potential audience. And it seems a narrow audience too, because, you know, just having those roadblocks in, in just in the way of the, the more compelling parts of writing. Also, most people are going to find something to criticize no matter what. So it doesn't oh, be, yeah. like, so you're, everyone's just spinning their wheels with this shit. Anyway, like I, so I, rather than like waiting for that to like go away in the culture, um, I decided to just sort of like turn my, turn my attention elsewhere and maybe go back to, um, like writing about myself when it feels like a little, like the stakes aren't as horribly high. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's where I'm at right now. Hopefully, I mean, you know, not good. I, I think maybe if I can just like eke out something that feels like it's fun to write, um, that's really like the only, that's like the only goal that I have now is to like in, <laughs> enjoy, enjoy like the process part rather than like, have it be all be about like, I'll show you, I'll show you what I can do. Um, which really was what animated like the first, you know, decade 
plus of my career, just be, being like, you got to see this. I can do this. Like, look at me doing it. Um, and that's, you know, like it only gets you so far. I'm, I'm lucky that I had that impulse though, because otherwise I would never have done anything. So. I think like having that this pure enjoyment of doing the work is, is it's a good sign that the audience will probably like it too. I feel like generally speaking, the audience can kind of tell when something is labored or if something is kind of forced um, just on an intuitive level. And this is the thing I really kind of, uh, kind of had to confront a lot at Buzzfeed because you're dealing with this, this gigantic audience and but the audience could always, always, always tell when something was labored or like someone was trying to do a thing that wasn't coming naturally to them. And the stuff that would always be really easy would always go over really well. And I think that that translates to most creative endeavors, but that because of the nature of like BuzzFeed and it being always kind of almost a simplified version of everything, uh, it was very noticeable. Um, and also because the audience is such a big part of the concern of doing anything on, on that platform, it's very visible. That's interesting to know. I mean, I, in the past, I think I have, you know, this probably links back up with my um, early twenties, like disavowal of my own, um, my own sort of um, comfy music tastes. Like I always resist things that feel too, like they're too much fun or that they're too, or that they're too easy because I'm like, well, this must not be, you know, you never to like indulge in another like music met- metaphor. Like you never want to be up there like noodling, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, it's not always necessarily the question of like, I'm having a great time making this, but I think also did this, this kind of flow naturally out of you? Cause obviously lots of music is like incredibly sad, but you can kind of feel like, Oh, this is coming from a very genuine place. Um, even, you know, even if a song has gone through like a lot of revisions or things like that, it's like the, the core of it uh, flowed out of someone like pretty naturally. And I think people can generally tell when that is the case. I mean, just think of all the times you've ever read about a person being like, well, you know, I have all these songs that I'm so proud of, but like, this is my biggest hit. I just wrote in like an an hour and I don't get why that's the one I'm really likes. It's like, no, that's, you're kind of missing like the, like the thing that people are probably seeing in the thing you wrote in one hour. Um, yeah, I just, I wonder what it will take for me to like make myself like a clearer channel for that kind of like inspiration. I hope it doesn't mean that I have to like give up um, like, you know, meat or dairy or Twitter or something. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious, like, like, how long does it take you to write a novel? In the past, it's taken me a while. Um, in part because I didn't really know what I was doing, you know, so I would, I would, write like my first novel I wrote like um I think actually both times I ended up writing sort of like almost almost entire drafts that I ended up um getting rid of most of like so maybe like 70 or 80 pages that was just like straight into the garbage can um and I I hope that I'll be able to avoid that in the future um do you think you have it in you to work in the way that like, uh, you know, I guess like there's like mass market writers who can like knock out a book a year or like even more than that. And like, do you think that you could just work that quickly and just to kind of like, did you have that? Do you think you have that in you? 
I think I could, I think I could get a little faster. I think I, now that I sort of understand more about the process, um, I think I will, and also now that my kids are older, I think I could get a little faster just by like staying with, staying with like the moment more, like having more sort of like day, day to day momentum in the draft. Um, I also am really inspired by Jamie Attenberg, who has been really good about sort of like making her own process very transparent. She writes really sort of like juicy, complicated books that aren't, you know, she's not like Nora Roberts, but she does write about a book a year or like a book every two years. And that's like a pretty crazy metabolism for someone who writes sort of like literary novels. Um, yeah. I, I wonder if part of that is just like, you just go, oh, I think like, well, she's had kind of more success over time. So there is an audience that's waiting for a new book from her. Yeah. So there is that. So you're there, you want to like get something out. Uh, you know that it's going to probably sell a, a, at least a, a respectable amount to the audience you already have. So that's probably a good motivating factor. And then also just, you know, it becomes a job as opposed to a thing that is like a notional thing or it's like, I do novels. I don't know if like, but like for her, like, you no, know, she is, she, that is her profession, like unambiguously. That is, yeah. you know. Well, that's, I mean, that is, I guess, it's not quite where I, I, I am, but I hope to be there, you know. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it took her a few books, right, to kind of get to that point? It took her a ton of books. I think The Middle Steens, which is like her first big hit, was maybe her sixth or seventh novel. And the, yeah, and all that's amazing. Her, like, published, too, wasn't like she had drawer novels before that. So, yeah, um, that is definitely something that I remind yeah. myself of you know, like on a pretty consistent <laughs> basis. Yeah. I mean, like a circling back to, to, to around where we started with this, like, you know, it, I think that is one of the nice things about being a writer is that it's not necessarily a young person's game the way music is where, I mean, obviously musicians do incredible music uh, at all ages, but the music industry is definitely increasingly a young person's game to the point where it's like the accepted age of a musician just kind of gets drops lower and lower. I think people like, I, I try to remind people sometimes that in the '90s, like Fiona Apple was really a real was very rare for a, a musician to be a teenager, or or Hanson. It was like a real novelty. Yeah, I well, I mean, there's so many musicians who've really like done their best work in in the first like decade of their career, and for writers, you know it's not like the standard thing is to like start in one place and then like hone your craft and like get better and better as you like get into your like mature period. Um, like some people are just one hit wonders and like we still read their one hits today and their first book is like, you know, like almost unequivocally their best book I taught a seminar about first novels once and it was like really kind of um mystifying to me to try to find sort of a pattern here there because like yeah like some people are just like working at the highest possible level and they like have all these great ideas and they sort of shove them into like their first book and then everything else is sort of like a pale imitation of that book yeah, people say that about debut albums too, where it's like, you know, you have your whole life to write this and put all your life experience into this. Like you have, you know, even if you're young, you have like 20 years of life poured into it, and then you have to do another one uh, and you have two years to do it. 
two years of life to draw on, you know, which is, I think, in some ways silly because you still have plenty of life besides like the 11 songs you have on your first record. But, you know, like that that kind of thinking of like the best tracks from sophomore albums. (laughs) Well, I I think this is a good place to wrap. Um, So uh, I just again, I think people should go out and buy your book, Perfect Tunes, which is uh, still a fairly new book. I think it came out around March or April. Yeah, April. It was, it was I, I know it because I, I ordered it like the early pandemic phase. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to plug? Other like recent things? Or I, th- I think you have a newsletter, right? Oh, I do have a newsletter. Yeah, it's free. Um, it's called Can't Complain. It's a Substack newsletter. Um, so that's where I'm like blogging these days. Well, uh, I will put a link so people can easily find that. But thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. So much fun.